Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. In the previous episode, I explored some of the traditional arguments for the existence of God. I argued, as many have done before me, that the attributes of God, be they masculine or feminine, singular or plural, or similarly of demons, are obviously projections of human values or vices, even of gender, into the over- or underworld. I mentioned that I find the arguments from cosmology as well as the stories that are given from personal revelations, visions and the like, to be not only theoretically of great interest, but at times compelling and persuasive. Of course, at other times they can be outlandish. Rather than give a theoretical argument concerning such matters, I prefer to share with you what emerged from me around 2013-14, and which I put into words in the book The Sower and the Seed. Although at the time this felt quite fresh and surprising to me in its outpouring, for I had little control over the visionary content in itself, I was later to realise there was nothing unique in my particular experience. When I put it into words, of course my conscious mind was employed far more actively, and it felt a need to shape and express in a particular form what the experience and visions had been. Thus a story or a myth, sometimes personal, sometimes collective, can emerge that embodies, gives form to the central experience for which words always fall short. Like Schopenhauer, I feel that music is far more direct and expressive of the soul. To begin with, as I began to formulate the experience, I felt a need to outline a creation myth. So I shall follow the book, The Soul and the Seed, for a few of its chapters, and I hope to illustrate how this process can work. Please note the following is an inadequate expression for my experience, since words cannot express it properly. Also, individuals in their personal quest need to experience for their own selves their own visionary material, their own gnosis. Hearing about another's is merely an encouragement, never a substitute. Creation myths deal with basic puzzles, such as how the world began and what is mankind's place in it. A modern creation myth, in my view, should attempt to combine ancient wisdom with the findings of modern science, for example those of cosmology, evolution and paleoanthropology. It might tell an old story of a vast intelligence that has created but also evolved the cosmos and all its life forms, including ourselves. Like all creation myths, such a narrative would subsequently centre on mankind's consciousness and moral dilemmas. Here is what came out of me when I wrote The Sower and the Seed. I paraphrase from the opening chapters. Origins. When contemplating the beginning of things, we gaze, as it were, at the night sky, at a universe that began 13.8 billion years ago and is still expanding. Inevitably, into its starry mirror, we project ourselves. Human consciousness is part of that which it observes. We intuit that a primal intelligence or spirit manifests itself through the material universe and ourselves. 
the ancient Chinese classic. The Tao Te Ching contemplates something similar. It has many translations. It has a famous stanza which I felt moved to put to my own verse, which says, Something formless yet complete precedes both man and earth. It lay outside of space and time. It had no death or birth. It did exist before this world, all things it does bring forth. It is the mother of all life, the father of all thought. Human beings long for harmony within themselves, a sense of meaning and belonging in the cosmos. In the mirror of the starry firmament, we find the creative, destructive nature of our own psyche. We also sense and are thrilled at the wholeness that underlies these opposites, an integrative intelligence that permeates all things, including the depths of our own nature. Our consciousness is compelled to look at the pre-conscious state and divine its nature. Symbols of the totality found in all cultures and epochs intimate that once before time the universe was one, that despite the problematic entrance of consciousness there was, is and shall be a unity to the cosmos. There is a longing and intuition that the conflicted human being consisting of so many parts, derives from and can return to a unity outside ego consciousness. This mythological original state, symbolised by the Euroboros, is a union of opposites, light and dark, positive and negative, the state before creation. It therefore transcends consciousness, giving an intuitive, symbolic form to a pre-conscious condition outside of time, space, causality and the duality of existence in which the opposites are contained. Here we may contemplate symbolically the beginnings of things, the world, all life and ourselves. This image refers to an original self-contained circle where all opposites are united. Plato in his book The Timaeus says, quote, Therefore the Demiurge made the world in the shape of a sphere, giving it the figure which of all is the most perfect and the most equal to itself. Unquote. The image of a serpent forming a circle with its tail in its mouth is found, for example, in ancient Egypt, on one of the shrines enclosing the sarcophagus of Tutankhamun, dated to the 14th century before the Common Era. That is almost three and a half thousand years ago. It may represent the beginning and end of everything, for example, of time itself, or the cycles of the year, or Egyptian civilization. The image also appears in Indian mythology, for example, in a Vedic text of the early 1st millennium BCE, that's almost 3,000 years ago, there is mentioned, quote, a snake biting its own tail, unquote. In a medieval yoga kundalini Upanishad, the Ouroboros symbol appears again. It says, 
Quote, the divine power Kundalini shines like the stem of a young lotus, like a snake coiled around herself. She holds her tail in her mouth and lies resting half asleep at the base of the body. Unquote. The first known image of the snake swallowing its own tail is on a piece of pottery from ancient Chinese Neolithic culture, that is the late Stone Age, before the invention of the metal bronze culture. So that's somewhere between 5,000 and 7,000 years ago. The image is also found, for example, in Norse mythology. A serpent is slain by Ragnar Lodbrok, who frees and marries Pora, who had been trapped in her bower by the serpent who had circled around it. The fight with the dragon and the marriage to the entrapped female is an archetypal image found across the world's cultures. Later in Norse legends, Ragnar Lodbrok has a son who had the image of a white snake in one eye. It encircled the iris and bit itself in the tail, and the son was called Sigurd, snake in the eye. In South America there are tribes who believe that the waters at the edge of the world disk are encircled by a snake, an anaconda, which bites its own tail. In the Zohar, the mystical commentary of the Kabbalah, Leviathan, appearing in the book of Job in what Christians now call the Old Testament, is referred to as having no mate, that is, it is sufficient unto itself, and biting its own tail. While in the Talmud, there is a reference to Leviathan Quote, twisting around and encompassing the entire world. Unquote. The Ouroboros image is found in Gnosticism in the early centuries of the Common Era, that is around the time of Christ, right up to the 5th century, so found in Western Asia, modern-day Iraq and Iran. For example, in the Pistis Sophia, a now famous Gnostic text, describes the Ouroboros as a 12-part dragon surrounding the world with its tail in its mouth. The image and references to the Ouroboros are found extensively in European alchemy and later formed an important motif in Jungian archetypal psychology. For example, the front cover of Eric Neumann's outstanding contribution to Jungian thought, his book called The Origins and History of Consciousness, highly recommended has an image of the Ouroboros on the front cover. And within the book, there is an extensive analysis of the meaning of this universal archetypal symbol. It still occurs in modern times. Germain to our theme is the seminal book by Martin Rees called Just Six Numbers, published in 1989, in which he used the Ouroboros symbol to illustrate the scales of the universe ranging from the minute, the subatomic, at the tail, up to the supragalactic at the head. Since the tail and head meet to complete the circle, there are, he suggested, quote, intimate links between the micro-world and the cosmos, symbolised by the Ouroboros, unquote. Suffice it to say that the essence of his thesis is that the universe has all the indications from scientific analysis to be fine-tuned to an incredible detail. Rees points out six constants 
that had they been only fractionally different, would have prevented the emergence of the cosmos at all, never mind life and consciousness. These famous six numbers refer to, firstly, the ratio of the strength of the electrical force to the gravitational force. The second defines how strongly atomic nuclei bind together. The third measures the amount of material in the universe. The fourth relates to an assumed anti-gravity effect that modifies the rate of expansion of the universe to explain recent astronomical observations. The fifth relates to the degree of structure inbuilt into the early universe in the Big Bang and had to be minutely balanced to allow the existence of life and consciousness at all. The sixth is the three spatial dimensions we live in, which are exactly what is required for life to exist. If ever there was a scientific thesis updating the existence of an argument from design, this looks like it. You may recall that it was originally suggested by St Augustine and repeated by Thomas Aquinas, otherwise known as the teleological argument. In modern terminology, we might refer to the existence of a vast cosmic intelligence rather than the term God. However, it comes to the same thing. It's just that some terms exhaust their mythological meaning, become unfashionable and therefore need reworking and updating. Martin Rees' book will be explored in an episode in the near future. To return to the Euroboros, there are various points of contact with such an image symbol. So, for example, there is a primal intuition that there is an essence that encompasses all things, a foundation of everything, a force that is omnipresent through the material and non-material worlds that underlies both the human self and nature. Next, it represents a pre-dawned symbol of the state of humanity before the birth of consciousness, that is, when we were immersed in nature. Next, a symbol of our existence in our mother's womb and our infancy before the formation of an ego. Next, the Eurobra symbol may represent a mandala symbol that occurs in spiritual, mystic and artistic states as an image of wholeness, healing the fragmentation of the psyche. It arises spontaneously in children's drawings, dreams and trance states of all peoples. Next, a supreme goal of consciousness which is to strive to end the struggle of opposites that constitute human existence. Such a symbol is an intuitive representation of transcendence. And finally, I suggest the Ouroboros may be represented as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end of everything, since it prefigures the state after consciousness when all opposites are reduced back to unity. It is therefore a symbol of death and life, that is, death and life, the opposites, united as one, and a transpersonal wholeness, transcending the state of individuals, or indeed the species. By perceiving a unity in the original state, we sense the wholeness of the cosmos, a unity of all things, including ourselves. Since human beings are from the earth, which in turn evolved from the universe, An identity should exist between mankind and the cosmos. While this must be true physically, for example, that the carbon atoms of the early universe are required for the carbon in our own bodies, 
It also hints at the psychological and spiritual dimension. Our basic identity with the cosmos is what we have always longed for, instead of experiencing ourselves as baffled observers or alien intrusions. Modern science has discovered that the immense galaxy within which our solar system and the Earth is situated consists of hundreds of billions of stars, not to mention their planets. But our galaxy, the Milky Way as we call it, is only one amongst hundreds of billions of others across the visible universe. All this is only a small fraction of the dark matter and energy that fills the apparent void. Since the expansion of the universe can be measured, its beginning can be dated to around 13.8 billion years ago. Outside of this original singularity, or black hole, or dark perfect sphere, nothing could exist. No time, space, light, energy or matter. Within it, the totality of the cosmos in potentia existed. Creation and destruction, matter and spirit were as one. The possibility of all life and even consciousness is prefigured here in this alchemical vessel. This matrix expanded very quickly, creating from the primal energy, the material, form and time of the still expanding universe. 4.5 billion years ago, our solar system was formed from the gas and matter in this spatial region that contracted under the force of gravity. There is immense propulsion towards the creation of higher order in the evolution of the universe and life. Intelligence is integral to the cosmos, yet from beginning to end it is pitched against destruction, chance, disorder and death. Human beings in early civilizations moved beyond their state of immersion in nature to consideration of origins, envisaging gods that created the world. They were at the edges of their consciousness. The most far-flung contemplation and mystical experiences that could help them formulate an idea or articulate an image of the beginnings of things. This inevitably is a projection of consciousness as it contemplates the conditions of its pre-existence. The consciousness of modern mankind has expanded to include evolution. A vast universe evolved over billions of years. A knowledge of physics, chemistry, biology, immensely more advanced than that of the ancient world. Nevertheless, our contemporary theory of origins in some respects resembles certain intuitions of early civilizations, especially the Hindu, and in a similar manner, our psyche projects itself into it and then searches for the impossible, the language that describes the state beyond the opposites which underlies our consciousness. The Rig Veda, written between 1500 and 1000 years before the Common Era, comments, then was not non-existent nor existent. There was no realm of air, no sky beyond it, 
Death was not then, nor was there aught immortal. No sign was there, the days and nights divider. That one thing, breathless, breathed by its own nature. Apart from it, was nothing whatsoever. The gods are later than this world's production. Who knows then whence it first came into being? He, the first origin of this creation, whether he formed it all or did not form it, whose eye controls this world in highest heaven, he verily knows it, or perhaps he knows not. That's the Rig Veda hymn 129, called Creation, translated by Griffiths, very good translation, in 1896. Note to begin with the apophatic, or the via negativa, the method of saying not this and not that, or in this case the not non-existent nor existent, beginning to the poem. Note that it suggests that the gods are invented by mankind. And yet there is a primal unity and a primal oneness that pre-exists everything. Finally, you may have noticed that the mythological and poetic way of thinking and expressing that's embodied in the poem is talking about ideas which are remarkably similar to the ones I gave earlier which were a mixture of metaphysics and the standard model of the universe, of modern science. The modern astronomer's lens, peering out to the creation of our universe, like the latest telescope that has been sent into space, the James Webb, is human consciousness, like a mirror to its deep centre, forever examining its origins, birth, and even the preconditions of its existence. But ultimate knowledge forever vanishes beyond our scope. In the moment of dating the universe, we realise there must be others preceding it, that the cosmos must be infinite and eternal, as Giordano Bruno intuited in the 16th century that there have been endless cycles of creation and dissolution, as Hindu philosophers have known for millennia. The intelligence of mankind gazes at the universe only to realise that we are an expression of this infinite intelligence itself. That which we have called God or Brahman, we then name Cosmos. That which we named Cosmos, we now call Self. Consciousness and the universe are inextricably linked. One searches for the creator, forever finding oneself. <laughs>